0: Welcome back, Journeyers. This episode, we return to Heather, Stacy, and Ken as they continue their quest to catch up with the boys. As the trio enters the Hyperborean Harbor City, they try to come to terms with the fact that they are still in California, just not the California they know. Now, back to the story. Chapter 32 Heather Shackelford didn't understand how, but they were still in California. Heather, Ken said, I know, but how? I don't know, but that would mean, I know, but how? Damn it, Ken, I don't know. She had to focus, had to center herself. She grabbed her emotions by the throat and stuffed them down deep until they were only an annoying buzz. She nudged her horse forward. Sorry, Ken, I don't know what it means, but it doesn't change where we're going. Skip it. Ken dismissed her outburst, but was unable to hide his wounded look. You're right. It probably doesn't change anything. I bet Steve and Mike could cook up a theory. They're into all that sci-fi fantasy crap. But dude, that's just weird. With Moral Rock as a reference, Heather now saw the terrain with familiar eyes. Still, it was unnerving like seeing memory and reality simultaneously. Black Hill and the tip of Cabrillo Peak were visible from where she stood. The hills were part of a range called the Nine Sisters, a chain of small volcanic peaks that led from San Luis Obispo to Morro Bay. The small hill that separated Los Osos from Morro Bay back home had its tress cleared, and she could see a large circular building, probably a temple of some sort, where the golf course had been, or is, she fumbled with the right verb context as they made their way to the main gate of the walled port. Scavia spoke with the centurion with a ledger, who gave a sharp look to anyone who wandered too close. Heather strayed away from him and focused her attention on her surroundings. The road they stood on was wide and lined with a variety of shops, all varying in sizes and shapes. Farther down the lane, a farmer's market displayed the sort of things that Heather expected Fruits and vegetables were piled high on wooden carts, a large quantity of fish was set in the shade or laid out to dry, and a number of dead animals, mostly types of fowl, hung by their feet. Heather wasn't a vegetarian, but the vulgar display of the animals turned her stomach. She knew where her chicken sandwich came from, but seeing a chicken slaughtered was something completely different. Did you know that a chicken once lived for 18 months without a head? Ken teased as if reading her mind. Thanks for that info. Heather thought she might vomit. On him. That would show him. She thought. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have said that. You know this place kind of reminds me of a renaissance fair that Steve and Michael dragged me to last year? Except this place doesn't look like medieval times. It's more like ancient Rome. You know what it feels like? It feels like I'm on a movie set. And any second I'm going to turn the corner and see Hollywood. Heather nodded absently. Her mind had shifted to Steve at the mention of his name. She knew he was fine. Steve was always fine. But she missed him. If they were back home, they would probably be at the beach. They would be under an umbrella, his head in her lap, and her playing with his long sandy blonde hair, waiting for a chance to steal a kiss. Heather was not big on PDA, public displays of affection, but her shyness always took a distant second when it came to kissing Steve. And it really wasn't public if no one saw you, right? Scavia approached and knocked her out of her daydream. I have secured a vessel. We will leave tomorrow. Today, we shall rest and bathe. How long will it take to reach the city? Heather asked. It depends on Gaia and the wind she brings. A week? Maybe less? Scavia said and then looked sharply at Callista, who had let out a small groan at the estimation. The beautiful girl looked waxy, and she held on tightly to Stacy's hand. Michael's sister gave her mentor a reassuring pat. She has a distaste for sea travel. The tall centurion shrugged and led them through the marketplace. With her mount and toe, Heather approached Scavia. She made a quick look to make sure Stacy was out of earshot before she addressed the armored Hyperborean. Are we safe? Only the dead are safe. The words from Scavia's helmet were hollow and cold. A moment passed, and then he turned to her and smiled. My apologies. It is something we say. I have taken precautions to protect you. The optio custodian will question each person that attempts to enter the gate. If we were followed by any of that dog priest fools, which I do not believe we were, they would be turned back at the gate. It is not strictly legal, but Juck is a friend, and he will find a way to stall them until we have departed. Birds fly faster than a horse can run, so it is probable somebody already knows we are here, but the air in the city is good. I cannot see another riot breaking out. Do not worry, for whatever may come, you and your friends will reach Roe Pinmon safely. They traveled through the city on foot, leading their horses. Heather quickly lost track of how many turns they made, but was taken in by the surroundings. It was a stroll through the past. The architecture was breathtaking. Stone, brick, and adobe surrounded her, and nothing looked poorly made. The buildings gave her the impression of age. They had stood for hundreds of years, and would continue for a hundred more. The sound of flowing water filled the air. Every square contained a fountain, not only for decoration, but also to provide the inhabitants with water. People came and filled their wooden buckets or large stone vases from the largest fountain, while others watered their animals at smaller ones built into the walls. At each fountain, pointy-eared children screamed in delight as they splashed one another. She smiled. Children would always find a way to play. What stood out most to her was the cultural idiosyncrasies that she would never read about in a history book. Fishmongers bellowed out their catch of the day, but fruit and vegetable stands were quiet, She watched a painter not acknowledge the presence of a potential customer until money was displayed. Scavia was right. The air was good. It was not the clean, salty tang that spoke to her, but something deeper, a mixed feeling of contentment and security. It was the first time that she had arrived in this bizarre world that she felt safe. She amended her thought. It was the first time she felt safe without her boyfriend nearby. She hoped he was being careful, and she wished she could hear his laugh. Chapter 33 Heather opened her eyes before Scavia laid a rough hand on her side. Something's coming, she said. The soldier peered at her, the faint light catching the ridges on his face, and then nodded. Yes, we must be quick. A boom reverberated through the city, followed by two others in rapid succession. It sounded to her like the drums of doom. Heather flung off her sheets and hurried to pack. Clista was already pulling a tunic over Stacy's sleepy head. What is it? Heather tried to ask the centurion, but he was already exiting the room. I do not know, Clista said, but I can feel its darkness from here. Heather started to ask her what she meant, but she could feel it too. She could point to it. It felt like a shadow that fell on the east wall that protected the city. The tall centurion reappeared in the doorway now in full armor and with a frightened kin in tow, who clutched his packs to his chest. I, th- I thought I was dreaming, Kin said. And when he opened the door, I thought I thought that he would come for me. What's happening? Stacy asked as she rubbed at her eyes. Where's my brother? We're going to meet him, Clista soothed as she hoisted her packs. But he was just here. I was just talking to him. Callista grew stern. We have spoken about this. You are not to do that again. I have made you aware of the dangers. It appears you need further instruction. The color drained from the young girl's face. Heather didn't have time to figure out what they were talking about or feel any sympathy for the rash girl. She tossed her pack over her shoulder and headed for the door. The booming against the city walls spurred her feet. Heather burst out of the building and stopped short. She had expected to see panic in the street but except for the steady rhythmic booming, all was still. There were only a few open windows where drowsy shadows peered out. Elias, the poet, stood, surrounded by their horses, reins in hand. Salsus, the slave, was already mounted with his eyes fixed to the east. Not time yet to panic, Heather Shackelford, Elias said, eyes roaming the dark streets. But haste would not be misplaced at the moment. She took her reins from his grasp and pulled herself onto her mount. The horse tossed its head and skirted to one side. She took a deep breath and calmed herself and patted the horse's neck. Shh. Easy, Stuart. I'm sorry. She tried to focus on something else besides the continuing booming. Life is uncontrollable, but I can control myself, she said to herself. Fog crept into the sky just as it did in the summer in Morro Bay. Then again, this is Morro Bay, isn't it? She thought to herself. Callista, Stacy, and the others finally came out of the building the centurions had procured for their stay. Heather had hoped for a full night's rest after their bath. Now she swore she would not take another bath until she was safe in her own home. Washing Mm -hmm. appeared to be bad luck in this world. It was difficult for Heather not to spur her horse into a gallop as the rest of the group seemed to take far too long to climb into their saddles. She wanted to be as far from the booming as soon as possible. Sitting behind Callista, the whites of Stacy's eyes shone in the moonlight. She wrapped her arms around Callista's back, who whispered softly to her. Like before, Scavia ordered. We march. He turned his horse and didn't wait to see everyone nod and fall in line. It sounds like the guns they fire at Fort Hunter Liggett. Kin said with a slight tremble in his voice. He was right. It did sound like live-fire training, but much closer. An elementary school memory enveloped Heather. She was in the first grade again, where she sat in class as Mrs. Bennett droned on about something. But what captivated her young mind were the tremors that ran through the classroom windows as the cannons fired miles away. The explosions weren't like lightning. She couldn't count between flashes and rumbles to determine if they were getting any closer. Were they getting closer? The world could be on fire, and Mrs. Bennet just ignored it and expected the children to do the same as Doom marched toward the class. Heather jerked herself back to the present, but the similarities between the quiet city and the still classroom sent a shiver up her spine. Ken looked over his shoulder and then to Heather. I keep on expecting to see flames. There was a tremendous crack and a roaring that sounded like a building falling over. Scavia drew up his horse and stood in his stirrups, his face hidden in the shadow of his helmet. Faint screams and cries slithered down the street. They're coming for us, Ken said softly to himself. Scavia jerked his head toward Ken and then back to the street past him. Even in his armor, Heather could see he was taut as a wound spring. Stay in formation, he ordered and quickened his pace into a trot. Alias, tell the captain to prepare the ship for immediate departure. Alias whipped his horse and was at a full gallop in four strides. More sleepy people were spilling into the street, but their expressions were more of curiosity than alarm. Their group turned right, brushing past more people. They would have to slow down if the streets got any fuller. They turned again, and Heather looked back to make sure Stacy was okay. That's when she saw it. Even from five blocks away, she could tell it was big as an elephant. But it had horns, not tusks and was covered with black hair. A host of the exotheneo were driving it forward. Callista, Her voice was close to a wail. Mother, protect us! Callista hissed and then shouted, Scavia! They have a calcatori! We cannot outrun it! She leapt from her horse and drew her bow as her feet slid to a halt on the stone road. The bull, Heather realized that's exactly what she saw, an enormous bull, bellowed and charged at them. The ground shook. Callista pulled an arrow from her quiver and knelt, head bowed. Is she praying? Heather thought, her eyes focused on the arrow. It has to kill it. Stacy screamed. The world fell away as Heather became absorbed by the details of the arrow. It was flawless. She could see the fletching made from the feathers of a red-tailed hawk, the shaft given by Lyth the gentle yew that lived near the stream, and the etchings of the dwarven-made arrowhead. She could see it all, and more. It had been crafted by Glykira of the dalon Metaf. The black-haired dread had hummed an ancient hymn of her childhood as her delicate fingers wove the strands that held the arrow together, and Heather could see how the sun and shadows played on her face as she worked. The bull bellowed, flames escaping its mouth. Fluidly, Callista stood, drew, and fired. Fly true! Heather shouted whether in her mind or aloud or both, she did not know. She ached for the arrow to find its mark. The missile soared with a dull luminous sheen and sang as it buried itself deep in the eye of the monster. Heather sang with it. Her heart sang of the glory of fulfilling one's destiny. The beast collapsed in mid-stride and tumbled into a two-story building, shattering bone, brick, and mortar. The twisted exotheneo howled, and the roars of several other calicatori answered their rage. Callista spun and leapt onto a horse, her eyes fixed on heather's. Scavia shouted, Go! and snapped his reins. Those in the street, who didn't jump out of the way, were knocked aside by the rushing steed. They sped through the night, the sounds of battle lost behind them in the darkness. Scavia only reined in his horse when they reached the sharp decline that led to the bay. The Embarcadero, Heather thought. For a moment, both worlds were transposed in her mind's eye. The touristy stores and the restaurant shared space with docks and warehouses. Bob's Fish and Chips and the small fish market stood together, and a large dock stood where she always bought saltwater taffy. She blinked, and the vision evaporated. Their ship waited in the bay. Hyperboreans hurried by lamplight to prepare the rigging. Behind them, from the city, alarms could be heard as Heather and her group descended down the steep road. The lights of the fires illuminated the fog as the city started to burn. The harried group dismounted and quickly began to load their belongings into the dinghy that would take them to the ship. What about the horses? You can't just leave them, Stacy said. There is no time, little one, Alias said. But they'll die! Be still, Simma. Calista snapped, and then softened her tone when Michael's sister began to cry. Be still, Simma. Watch and learn. Calista took Stacy's hand and put it on the muzzle of their horse. Be safe and silent. Lead them home, she murmured. John the horse snorted and tossed its head. They will be safe. Callista nodded to the girl. Stacy sniffed and gave John one final pat. Promise you'll be okay. John nodded and nuzzled her hand. Horns sounded as Callista pulled Stacy onto the small boat. Better? Heather asked as she took Stacy's hand. Yeah. Stacy wiped her face unceremoniously on her sleeve. The soldiers heaved at the oars, but it seemed to Heather that they only inched along. The overcast skies were ablaze from the burning city below and cast everything with an eerie orange light. A bull monster crested the Embarcadero where they had been minutes ago. With its enormous black form silhouetted by the flame, it looked like a demon emerging from hell. It roared in fury. The bull swung its head and decimated the building next to it. She turned her eyes away from the awful sight and faced the awaiting ship. Her hands clasped around Stacy's. Ken sat on the bow, his taut face reflecting the unsettling orange light as he muttered to himself. His eyes locked with hers, and he turned away. Heather could not be sure, but it sounded like he was saying, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, over and over again. That's all for this episode, Journeyers. Come back next week and return to see Mike, Steve, and Bear enter into the Hyperborean capital, Roe, Pinmon. As always, thank you for listening, and be good to one another.